This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Matt, our card for this week is Kirk McCaskill, number 16 in the 1988 top set. Kirk McCaskill, pitcher for the California Angels. Fantastic. Yes, I'm going to pulling him up on the Jumbotron. And I would normally ask you, David, why we chose Kirk this, this week, but... But it was my idea. We hadn't covered any of the California Angels yet that when I was looking through the list of players, I wondered, huh, here's a guy with the last name McCaskill. I wonder if he's related to Claire McCaskill, former senator from the state of Missouri. Turns out they are of no relation. But in some research, it did seem like Kirk McCaskill was very worthy of an early spot in the rotation here on the 1988 Tops podcast. When you pull up this card, David, the first thing that stood out to me when I saw the card is that this is probably the most ridiculously handsome player that we've seen so far on the podcast. It's This is not your typical pitcher shot. This is a glamorous headshot to me. Yeah, it's definitely a good a good shot of Kirk's handsome face. He is... Maybe, by some measure, the most beautiful member of the 1988 <laughs> Tops set. I don't know if any other 1988 Tops player was on people's most beautiful people list. Well, we will find out through our research throughout the series. But yeah, Kirk McCaskill, this on the front of the card, it's it's dreamy. Green eyes, looking off in the distance, just a, uh, just a handsome man. So... I think, David, the way to tackle Kirk McCaskill episode would be we've got we have some important information about him as a Canadian. We definitely want to get to his background uh, as a dual sport player. Yeah. And then I think maybe we'll just drop in a few notes from his career, which was relatively interesting, pretty good early on, and then kind of trailed off at the end. I remember him being a kind of nondescript pitcher for the White Sox late in his career on some decent White Sox teams that unfortunately, the strike shortened season hindered their ability to win a World Series in 1994. Okay, let's go to the back of the card. So Kirk McCaskill, born in, we're going to need a pronunciation check here. Yeah, I think that it is Kapuskasing. Kapuskasing. Kapuskasing, Ontario. Kapuskasing, relatively small town. James Cameron's from there. James Cameron, Kirk McCaskill seem to be the two most prominent Kapuskasing residents or Mm -hmm. natives. His father also from Kapuskasing, Ontario, was a professional hockey player. He traveled around, played 21 seasons in the NHL and WHA, also played in Scotland. I did not know there was a professional Scottish hockey league, but that's where he met his wife, May. He met her at a bar owned by her parents in Scotland. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So that was an interesting note. And... So his dad is Ted McCaskill. You can see from his stats, a lot of penalty minutes. And he was (laughs) a tough guy, but he also scored a lot of goals. 
you know, scoring 50 plus goals in some minor leagues and uh, independent leagues for teams all over the place. Nashville, Memphis, Vancouver. He actually played for the Vancouver Canucks when they were in the WHL and Phoenix and LA as well. Ted developed a reputation as being a minor league hockey tough guy. Because of that, he was asked to be an extra in the movie Slapshot, a famous movie among dads. <laughs> Favorite movie of dads. Yeah. Slapshot. And unfortunately, Ted passed away in 2016. I was sorry to see that, but he had a, a really interesting career as a traveling minor league hockey coach. After his retirement, the family settled in Arizona. So Kirk, while born uh, Canadian, traveled around the U.S. a lot with his dad and then went to boarding school because like his dad, he was also a very good hockey player and went to boarding school in New York. This is, you know, has become now a segment on 1988 Tops. We, we talk about prep schools. His famous prep schools of the 80s, yes. <laughs> Trinity Pauling School. Other prominent graduates of Trinity Pauling include Mo Vaughn and the guy who co-created the Monkees, Bob Raffleson. <laughs> so Kirk, very good baseball player and hockey player at this prep school and was also on the, the soccer team, three-sport athlete in high school, and went on to the University of Vermont after turning down a baseball scholarship to baseball powerhouse Arizona State. He wanted to play both hockey and baseball, so he went to the University of Vermont. So, David, one thing I'm seeing here then is his college career, he was still making up his mind about which sports he was going to play and had a chance to kind of per pursue either hockey or baseball uh, from a professional standpoint. And this seems, it gets kind of complicated. I think the short of it is that he was even drafted by the Angels in the fourth round of the 1982 draft to play baseball, but was still playing hockey from 79 to 1983 for the University of Vermont and was award-winning still at that time. Yes, in 1982... He was the runner-up for the Hobie Baker Award, so the country's best uh, hockey player, and was named to a couple of All-American and All-Star teams for his division, and was, while you said he was drafted in 1982 by the Angels, prior to that, he was already drafted by the Winnipeg Jets in 1981. <laughs> so even though he continued to play college hockey, he was still tied to the Jets, but he wanted to keep playing college hockey, played out through his senior season, was the team captain, won the team MVP award. So at this point, at the time that he is finishing up school, he has been drafted into two professional sports, still hasn't decided which he was going to play or if he was going to do both. And for a time, he did both. He was playing in the minor leagues in 1982 in the Angels system. And then in the fall of 1983, signed a contract with the Winnipeg Jets and played for their AHL affiliate in Sherbrooke, Quebec. And it's pretty impressive that he was playing at a pretty high level it's, in both sports. I don't know. I mean, it's impressive, but it's also insane. Uh, yes. Like he's, he's allegedly going to college and then also uh, playing in Winnipeg, in Quebec, and being uh, and then some kind of minor league baseball for the California Angels. Matt, new segment of the show is 
1988 Topps geography test. <laughs> a thing that I've learned, I've, I've actually been to Sherbrooke, Quebec. It is in the eastern townships of Quebec. That part of Quebec is not very far from Vermont. Mm. I suppose could drive back and forth. It's relatively rural area of Quebec that is just north of Vermont. Maybe to to draw to a close that short section on his hockey career, it sounds difficult. It sounds complicated. Kirk said that it was miserable. He did not enjoy himself. He wasn't able really to focus on one sport or the other. He was invited to Winnipeg Jets training camp in 1983, but the coach of the Jets commented, McCaskill plays hockey the way he plays baseball once every four days. <laughs> That's excellent, excellent quote by the coach. In 1983, after failing to impress, he decided to hang up his skates and go to Angel Spring Training. So during this, all this madness of drafting, we should note here that the fun fact on the back of the card is that Kirk was signed as a fourth-round draft selection with the California Angels July 2nd, 1982, by scout Joe Madden. Is that the same Joe Madden of World Series uh, winner for the Cubs? Yes, the, ex- the exact same Joe Madden. Spent 30 years bouncing around as a scout, minor league coach, and uh, professional coach for the California Angels. And he was, at this point, a scout in 1982, signed Kirk McCaskill. Kind of interesting. I think this is the first notable scout we've found. We've, we've referenced some of their names just because they were funny names. But this one is the first one where he went on, after a 30-year career, to an even more prominent position, managing the Devil Rays into the World Series and managing the Cubs to a World Series victory. Maybe those are more notable things in his career than signing <laughs> Kirk McCaskill to a professional contract. I don't know. It's a very impressive scouting job. He's in the minors for a couple more years, and then he gets called up to the majors in 1985. Let's look at the back of the card for his rookie year. So his rookie year was in 85. He pitched in 30 games in almost 200 innings in his rookie year, which is is a lot. An ERA of 4.7 goes 12 and 12. So not bad for a rookie season to actually get that many uh, games as a starter. Uh, going to 1986, in 1986 was a big year for the Angels as they they made the playoffs. They went 92 and 70. For Kirk, he had even more innings pitched, almost 250 innings in, thir- in 34 games, and went 17 and 10 with a 3.36 ERA. So this is a very good season for Kirk. Yeah, sixth in wins, seventh in ERA, 10 complete games. And struck out 202 batters, which Kirk was not a power pitcher. He His fastball topped out under 90 miles per hour. But this season, he struck out 202 guys. I think his next best season was somewhere around 100 strikeouts. Interesting note on this. Th- I found this on a hockey database. They called this the best pitching performance by a former NHL draft pick until Tom Glavin won 20 games in 1991. I was going to ask if there were other notable hockey, hockey slash baseball two-sport performers. Yes. The, I think the, most, the other most prominent one is Tom Glavin. His rookie card is in this 1988 top set. Matt, it's funny that you picked a two-sport athlete 
and you picked maybe the least prominent two-sport athlete. <laughs> this set also has Bo Jackson, Dave Winfield, who was drafted professionally in three sports. Tony <laughs> Gwynn was drafted into the NBA and the Major League Baseball. Tom Glavitt is in the Hall of Fame, and we've got Kirk McCaskill. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're starting off. Uh, what can I say? I, was, I always go for looks before talent. That's just in general. <laughs> that's, the, that's why we had Julio Franco so far up in the that is, order. That's here. exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, very talented. Just to be clear, very talented Julio Franco as well, but but damn good looking. So, 86 season, you know, he went 0 and 2 in the playoffs, sadly, you know, 7.71 ERA in the playoffs. And. The Angels lost in seven games to the Red Sox, who went on to then lose the World Series. Yes, uh, and Kirk started games two and six of that series. And in game six, he only lasted two innings, gave up seven runs, five of them earned. And the Angels were blown out in that game six. So a rough uh, playoff series for Kirk. But at this point, it seemed like Big things coming for Kirk. Looks like lots of momentum for the Angels. How did it turn out in 1987? <laughs> they went from first place in 86 to last place in 1987. Oh, man. And yes. yeah. <laughs> lo- looking at the stats uh, for Kirk, he, you know, he had, instead of 34 games, he only pitched in 14 games, only 74 innings pitched in a 5.6 ERA. It looks like a lot of injuries that season. Yes, he had elbow surgery in April to remove some bone fragments from his elbow, and he ended up being out for May and June of that season. And, you know, in an incomplete season, he finished 4-6 and six on a pretty bad team, and injuries again limited him in 1988. He ended up 8-6 and six in 1988 with a 4.31 ERA. And then in 89 and 90, the Angels were a really good pitching team with pretty limited offensive capabilities. Those years, he was in a pitching staff with guys like Chuck Finley and Burt Blylevin. Mark Langston was with the Angels at this time as well. In 1989, they won 90 games. Kirk finished with the best ERA of his career. He had a 2.93 ERA in 1989, and in 1990, again, finished in the top 10 in ERA. He was 15 and 10 and 12 and 11 in those seasons. So good pitcher on a average team. But as you alluded to, Matt, there were some pretty notable, and I found this in, in an article where Kirk was talking about moments of his career. And he said, yeah, I've been around for some interesting home runs. Yeah, I would say there's there's three to talk about uh, up here. The, the first two are back-to-back home runs to father and son Griffey on September 14th, 1990. So what is happening here? In the first inning of a game, too. (laughs) uh, He gave up a walk to Harold Reynolds, and on an 0-2 count, Ken Griffey Sr. hit a 400-foot home run (laughs) straightaway center field. Ken Griffey Jr. came up next and hit a home run to left field. So back to back, the first time in history, father and son. Kirk had a pretty good comment about it. He said he was upset afterwards because as soon as Junior Griffey passed home plate, he saw Mrs. Griffey getting ready to come up to bat next. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I like that Kirk is able to laugh laugh it off a little bit. So that's... 
<laughs> yeah, give it up to father, son, and then potentially mom is quite a moment. But I'm even more impressed by this next one, David, and that is an inside the park home run to a 40 year old Bill Buckner. How the heck does that happen? There, there is a video of this. Buckner hits a very long fly ball to right field. Bill Buckner, not known for his speed, <laughs> is hustling <laughs> no. around the bases. Early in his career, Bill Buckner was a pretty quick outfielder. By this point, he was 40 and didn't have knees left. And you see him kind of just hobbling around the bases. What happened was the right fielder was Claudel Washington, who recently passed away, rest in peace, Claudel Washington, he misjudged the ball and fell over the fence. Oh, no. And so you see the fans in right field waving that he needs help because he (laughs) is on the ground in the stands and the center fielder never got over to the ball. So Bill Buckner is, (laughs) not only was it an inside the park home run, Bill Buckner had a stand-up Inside the park home run. What? <laughs> Unfortunately for Claudel Washington and for Kirk. But the uh, Angels did go on to win that game. Uh, well, we will put the the link in the in the show notes for that. And it looks like that was the last home run of Bill Buckner's career. What a way to go out. Pretty fantastic. So then 1991, it looks like uh, things have kind of dropped off. He leads the league in losses. But David, he is burning up the pages of fashion magazines in- instead. <laughs> yes, Kirk went 10 and 19 that year. His form fell off a little bit. The Angels were the second lowest scoring team in the American League, but Kirk was in people's most beautiful people list. I think the the most beautiful person that year was not Kirk, I think it was Julia Roberts. Okay. But Kirk was on the list it. and there is uh there's a good picture that we'll have in the show notes he looks like he's on the beach maybe standing on some rocks looking far away with a polo shirt and his baseball glove and some pleated khaki shorts that is high style high style kirk's wife said that kirk is very mel gibson-ish (laughs) it's very nice of kirk's wife i think so yeah he looks very he looks uh mel gibson-ish in this there are some some good and fawning quotes over kirk's good looks in this people magazine article Mm -hmm. the team photographer says no matter how hard he's working he never has a drop of sweat on his face kirk though was pretty modest about his good looks he said i just don't see this well kirk is is being very modest here so we've finished his fashion career. Now let's wrap up his Major League Baseball career. So he goes to the White Sox next? Yes, he signed as a free agent for the White Sox in 1992. Still starting, still a decent starting pitcher. I think he was the third pitcher in the rotation for the White Sox on that 92 team. Uh, but he finished 12-13 and 13 with a 4.18 ERA. And then in, by 1993, he's getting a little bit up there in age, and he was moved into a relief role, was sometimes a spot starter, but mostly was working out of the bullpen. And he was on the field for one of the most memorable White Sox moments of the 90s. He got the final out for the White Sox in 1993 when they clinched the American League West title. 
and he got a save in that game. Hmm. Which, to me, as a 13-year-old White Sox fan, was a very important <laughs> moment. I did not remember that Kirk McCaskill was out of the field for that, so it was <laughs> nice to see that in the notes. Unfortunately, he got a second chance at playing in an ALCS that year, but the White Sox lost in six games to the Blue Jays. Kirk ended up pitching out of relief in three games of that ALCS, but was relatively inauspicious. Mm-hmm. And so he continues as a reliever for the White Sox in the 94, 95, and 96 seasons and then retires in 1996. But you also have a note on pranks, which is obviously a recurring theme here in the 1988 Tops podcast. Is Kirk uh, McCaskill much of a prankster? Matt, is not that Kirk is a prankster. Instead, in this 1993 video that we'll post, Kirk was the subject of a prank. Mm. Apparently, Kirk was a very good table tennis player in the clubhouse which I guess in the days before cell phones, before games, <laughs> people would play table tennis. And Bo Jackson hired a professional table tennis player to just beat the crap out of Kirk McCaskill in a game of table tennis. And you can watch on the video, Bo Jackson is getting a kick out of it. Kirk, not so much, but he seems like a good sport. He does, he does. He retired from the White Sox at age of 35 in 1996. And an interesting note I found is that he played in the Italian League. He pitched in Florence, Italy in 1997. And so apparently there's a Fiorentina baseball team that still is in existence. You can go to their Facebook page and like their Facebook page. And he said that he just wanted some closure on his career. And what he did in Italy was he played baseball and drank a lot of nice wine. I've been to Florence. I was too young to drink that much wine, but I think that that sounds like a a lovely thing to do. Yes, it is. It's a beautiful city. I don't know how their baseball is, but now, you know, at this point now we've talked about, I think, Dutch baseball and Italian baseball. Fiorentina baseball. Currently, I guess my favorite Italian baseball team. Well, let's sum up his career. You know, he's he's a Hall of Famer. He is. He is our first Canadian baseball Hall of Famer. He still ranks second in wins behind Ferguson Jenkins among players born in Canada. Mm-hmm. And he, in 2003, was inducted into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. His career record was 106 and 108. He had over 1,000 strikeouts, 30 complete games, and ended his career with a 4.12 ERA. And as I said before, he's the second most accomplished NHL draft pick when it comes to career performance after Tom Glavin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Kirk has gone on to coach, to be very involved in his son's Little League. I think that he was the president of his son's Little League organization and also then coached baseball for Torrey Pines High School starting in 2013. And he was pretty successful as that high school baseball coach, but he just left in 2019 because one of his sons was playing college baseball at Dartmouth. Kirk wanted to have more time and flexibility to go fly across the country to see his son play. I, I got a good good vibe from Kirk in all of these interviews. He seems like a nice guy and a family man and a good Canadian wholesome gentleman. 
Well, wholesome Canadians, uh, we really can't go wrong with that, David. So uh, good to know that good-looking, wholesome Canadians end up okay. Uh, and if that's a lesson we can take away from the 1988 Tops podcast, I feel like we've done a good thing here. Thank you for you know helping to tell this story. And thank you to you at home. Uh, if you have a favorite Canadian uh, that you would like us to talk about, if you have a good-looking baseball player that you would like us to review, or a bad-looking one, even, <laughs> please send them to us. We're at Tops1988 on Twitter, and you can email us at 1988topspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>